Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi Olivia. Hey Micah. And hi to everybody else too. We have a fun week. We need to warn you, we are not doing a nerd alert this week. The U.S. elections where we live are still going on and it's been a little hectic. We both have been doing a bunch of other work and we were like, you know what? We just need a darn week off. And so we collected a bunch of cool links, one of which is actually kind of what we what we do for Nerd Alert. It's like a very interesting in-depth article about a very nerdy topic. So hopefully everybody's going to enjoy our links this week and it'll be fun. We'll be back with a cool Nerd Alert next week. How's that sound? Totally. Sounds good to me. Here we go. Our first article is by the wonderful Foundry Type Together. And it was written by Philip Blazik. And he talks about the nuances of typesetting in different Latin-based languages. So Micah just said we didn't have a nerd alert, but I felt really strongly about you know talking about this one up front because it feels like a mini little nerd alert in an article. It has some really great, you know, historical references, global references. It's really digestible. I think that it's fascinating for people coming from all sorts of different design and type backgrounds. So I'm very excited to share this with you. So basically he talks about how he is typeset in various you know, Latin-based foreign languages to him and all of these different rules that are specific to different regions and languages. Interesting talking about how the typographic tradition in France with French language is not the same as the one in Canadian French language, in Quebec maybe. Mm. So there's all these great nuances that I didn't even know about and I was super fascinated about. I think one of the more common nuances that we know about is the quotation mark. So in the U.S., double quotes are the standard. So like, you know, our smart quotes, as me and Micah like to say, the curly quotes on the left and right. But then in France, they do this angle quotation marks called the guillemets, and they kind of look like little carrots, carrots on the left side. Oh, sorry, like the typographic carrot. (laughs) Sideways? I don't know. Can you, can you describe them? Well, I've sometimes seen them called as like chevrons, I guess, but sort of like ah. a greater than, less than symbols, kind of something like that. But two of them grouped together, which I just never realized that that's what those are for. Yeah. Yeah. And in France, they're used with spaces around them. In Spanish speaking languages, they're used without spaces. And then if we're going beyond these guillemets, we go to Central Europe, the Baltic and Balkan countries, and they use baseline marks. So they basically, for the first quotation mark, it's just a double comma. And then the ending quotation mark is a quotation mark that looks like the start of a quoted phrase. Yeah, that's the so, thing too. It's like in different countries, you know, the left quotation mark points inwards. In other countries, the left quotation mark points outwards. Yeah. I just had no idea there was so much variation. This is even like, this has come up. So I sometimes get invoices from someone in the Netherlands. And instead of periods, he uses a comma for where the decimal would be for the sense. Wow. And I've that's seen one that of those things. Before. Yeah. Like I've seen it. And I, I you know, I was always kind of like, ah, oh, why is this different? But 
there's a whole section in here on the many different ways that numbers are written like that and how it's different in every country. It's one of those things. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the metric system and imperial units and stuff. It's like, man, I wish everybody did this the same way. But the truth is they don't. And mm -hmm. so you got to, when you're typesetting something significant that's going to be seen in multiple languages and you want it to feel like it belongs in the country that it's being read in, these are things you, you got to know about. It's crazy. There's some really great examples down below. There's some, you know, awesome visuals of so many languages, Lithuanian, Norwegian, Icelandic, Bulgarian, Czech, and all the nuances that each of them have. So I love seeing that. That's so fascinating. Even U.S. English and U.K. English has different conventions. Mm. Specifically, one that I love to talk about, I love bringing up the dashes. In this article, actually, I don't, do you know where Type Together is based? Because they pretty much say the standard for dashes is using an N dash with one space on either side, which is what I always thought was a British thing, but maybe it's a Latin-based language thing that's not in the U.S. because the U.S. has, it's, even it says here, loves a long M dash without spaces. <laughs> and it's also common in Australia and Canada. So maybe the long M dash used as a dash without spaces is a U.S., Australia, Canada thing. And actually the N dash with spaces is is a UK and the rest of Europe thing. Because like, I guess I haven't mm. considered it be beyond just UK English and US English, what dash is standard. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was just so looking, I, I tracked it down. Type Together's at least mailing address is in the Czech Republic. Interesting. The article writer, Philip Blazek, is Czech-based. I did read that. Mm, so okay. I guess wow. that makes sense. So, you know, if you're in the Czech Republic, you use... An N dash with spaces. I didn't know that. So fascinating. And Micah, I know, I know we love to battle about the spaces <laughs> on the either side of the M dash. We've talked about in a previous episode, spaces on either side of the M dash comes from AP style. So for journalists, so it makes the M dash look a little bit more pronounced depending on what sort of production methods you have for the final text. But also, I didn't know this, a big proponent of the M dash with spaces around it was Eric Speakerman. So little, fascinating. Little Captain Speakerman. If you don't know who Eric Speakerman is, by the way, he's one of the most famous type designers in modern history. I think he's considered a type designer and typographer too, to fame. But yeah, M dashes with spaces on the side are preferred aesthetically because it's easier to see on screens. Mm. And as, I guess he popularized this version. So fascinating. Wow. So you're saying I'm right. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying you may have influenced me, but. I mean, I the know. real answer is like, everybody does it differently, right? Like there yeah, is reasoning yeah. behind a lot of the justifications here on, on any side. Totally. And I do think that more people are putting spaces on either side of the M dash because we just like read stuff probably in AP style so much more than we read stuff in Chicago. I mean, there's so many rules in here. Like he numbers them off. There's hyphenation rules, symbols and units, special characters, you know, other extraneous rules. Even he talks about when you create an index, sometimes accented characters are treated similar to non-accented ones, but then in other languages, they may be placed at the very end of the alphabet. Interesting. So, so much nuance and so <laughs> lovely and like so much detail and so digestible. I just highly recommend and checking this out. 
one last thing before we move on from this, because we're gushing about this article a lot. I think one of the things that I really loved seeing this article, like it's easy to skim through and notice a bunch of interesting visuals and stuff. And that's enough, even if you don't read every detail, it really makes you appreciate. We get, we get requests all the time, like, hey, could you make the league fonts work for, you know, Scottish Gaelic? Or could you make sure that there's letters for Slovenian or something like that? And this is a good, easy visual to be like, wow, that's actually a lot of work. There's there's a lot mm-hmm. that goes into covering even just the Latin languages, let alone other non-Latin-based yeah. languages. Yeah, it's like very incredible. So I, I appreciate love- like what goes into type design. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's really resonating with people. We had one of our members, Art, sent this to us earlier this week after we found it being like, hey, I think you should check this out. And I was like, yes, great minds think alike. Yeah. Awesome. And it, it gives you more of a global perspective, which I think we all can use more of these days. Our next article I absolutely love. Mm. I have to give a lot of credit to Coffee Table Typography, another amazing type and design newsletter run by our dear friend Ricardo. And he shared this and I loved it so much. I I even sent him a little message being like, I might have to share this with the league because it's so fun. (laughs) It is a collection of album cover lettering for jazz musicians and it's all you know retro stuff from the 20th century probably from the 30s and 40s i didn't know that the first album artwork was created in the late 30s and before that they used to use brown paper sleeves for jazz 78 so i I guess that makes sense have you ever like bought an old record like that no oh have you <laughs> i mean yes I, yeah. guess, I guess i just assumed that i i also grew up like in an antique dealer's household so we had uh-huh. all of that kind of stuff just lying around wow i'm super fascinated by all of these lettering pieces here they a lot of them feel really timeless a lot of them have so much character really inventive stuff mm. um just like I I could I'm bookmarking the bookmarking this and definitely going to reference it in the future if I want to look at some really great inventive lettering. It's awesome because the majority of this webpage is just image and names, you know? And so like it's it's just scrolling through this beautiful gallery of interesting creative typography. Yeah. All of them you can like see the handmadeness of it all. Which mm. I know we were talking about last week when we were talking about Victorian type. It's just like this hand made, hand done aesthetic that's really hard to capture these days and is really refreshing to see on these vintage pieces like we see here. Let me just throw in a nice little compliment for you. That's part of why I love what you have done so much with the weekly typographic covers, the like individual mm. covers, I give you crap all the time because you're handwriting the little note subtitles every time, but also it looks awesome because you're handwriting it every time. There's definitely a certain warmth that you can, that is captured here that I like to put back into my typography. It's so crazy. Like all the all the warmth and like handmadeness has been like cleaned and chiseled out of all our perfect letter forms these days. But I, mm. I do think there's really a place for them to still exist. Do you have a, a favorite right now of these? I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> I, I, I really like the Buddy Rich one. It's just like a really, really fat 
sans serif mm. reminds me almost of like the the black gill sans or there's a great font called cable k-a-b-e-l that it also reminds me of but i mean that's definitely not the most inventive there was actually a really really funky one for lee morgan where this type looks like it's moving through space mm. and it's definitely like a little bit hard to read but really captures like a 3d-ness and that just the 2d design of it which i like appreciate i noticed that on david murray too it's smudged it's like oops this accidentally got messed up in the copy machine mm, I which definitely... i feel like that speaks to the music too a little bit yeah right oh i just i love this so much miles davis is one where it's this very swoopy it, it almost looks like 60s kind of like austin powers typography and it coalesces into this very solid block where the letters squish together somehow and it's just like like a solid logo that just sits there that like reminds me of his trumpet playing it reminds because i think i don't know if he used this but i know like modern trumpets you add this extension to like the horn of it which will give you the like Like those crazy yeah, I've seen noises. a lot of people use uh, plungers, the end of plungers. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure if you go to New Orleans, you'll probably still see that today because mm-hmm. they carry on that tradition. But that that type feels like that noise. I love it. Yeah. And I got to say, too, from a total design teacher perspective, on any given line, there's an example of how contrast and affinity is both used and not used to good effect. Of like, I'm looking at, Jimmy Smith is sitting next to John Coltrane and Jimmy Smith is just this kind of like very Franklin Gothic kind of just type just says the words Jimmy Smith. There's no real contrast in it. And the contrast is coming from the colors and, you know, a gradient that's sitting over the letters. Whereas John Coltrane is like this crazy Coltrane next to this like much smaller, uh, totally different colored, John. And it's interesting to see how some of these have basically no contrast. It's just like like Dean Martin is just the words Dean Martin in text. And some of them have this crazy interesting play with size and style and color to make the whole thing interesting on its own. Yeah. I mean, I do have to point out that this these it's just this is a crazy initiative. They isolated just the lettering part of it. So mm-hmm. what we're looking at now is just pure lettering and color. We don't have context for the rest of the album covers, but I totally agree. There's so much variety within all of these. But I mean, they still feel like a cohesive collect it's collection. And I think that's just because, you know, they feel so vintage to our eyes. But shoot, gosh. I want this I want this entire thing on a poster. Yes. Yes, I do as well. The author of this article was Reagan Ray, who I don't, I don't know him, but I think, you know, I'll have to look into his other essays. So cool. Our next article or resource, so to speak, not really an article, is dimensions.com. Did you find this one? I did. This is a gem in, <laughs> in so many ways. To put it simply, it's a reference database of dimensioned drawings documenting standard measurements and sizes of everyday objects and spaces that make up our world. Okay, sure. So like they'll show you what a a two-seater sofa, they'll give you the dimensions for that, or of a specific Rolex watch, or of an Apple iMac 20-inch. So they just seem like pretty random stuff, but then you look into it and it's really extensive. I mean, 
For practical purposes, you could use it to figure out the dimensions of a phone screen, of Google banner ads. If you're in a digital world, if you're a physical designer like I am, maybe you have to design, I don't know, something that goes on top of a sink and you need to know the dimensions of how wide a sink is, even for product designers or stuff like that. It's, I think, maintained by an architectural agency and they give the name here. It's Fantastic Offense, um, an architecture practice. And I'm sure they used it all the time because we always had to put people in our spatial renderings for scale when I used to work in events. So, mm. you know, that's really helpful. What if you're designing like a wallpaper and want to know where to put the seam? You should know how high a toilet is or how high a sink is. I'm giving all these bathroom references, but there's really, <laughs> there's so much. I mean, you can get a drawing of a female sitting in a inner tube where they would be in a swimming pool. So not only do they have dimensions, they have like illustrations. And then sometimes they have these like really fun facts. I haven't seen anything like this. They also have pop stars. If you want to know how tall Beyonce is, you get your very own Beyonce drawing. Some of these are just fantastic and totally absurd. There's one of Drake in the puffy jacket in that one video that everybody makes a meme about sitting next to Tim Cook who is oh standing gosh. on stage with his hands crossed next to an Asiatic lion, of course. And then there's Hawkeye and Phileas Flitwick from Harry Potter. I just found Hagrid. You can get, I wonder if they have a dimension. And, the, they and then they're like Batman, but in parentheses, Christian Bale. Wow, Hagrid was eight foot six. I mean, did you think he was shorter? No, but <laughs> you know, now I know if I need to do a rendering with Hagrid <laughs> right. hanging out. I mean... As someone that's worked in experiential and ha has had to like, you know, design stuff for ice cream trucks or, you know, I designed an apothecary wallpaper and the wallpaper was supposed to look like a shelving at an apothecary at a style in Photoshop and I spent days on it. And the problem was when we actually printed it out, it looked really big. It was like Alice in Wonderland apothecary, huge just shelving units and apothecary things just being way oversized. And if I had some dimensions of, you know, spatially, I probably would have been able to solve that a little bit better. It was mm -hmm. fine in the end. But I don't know. I just know there's there's less like events going on. But in so many ways, this is so fascinating. I could just look at this for hours. So I'm curious. It makes me think like, is there a resource like this that people wish existed around typography you know like is there some sort of thing that you're just like shoot i have to look this up all the time and there's like it's just not collected anywhere because that's one of those things that i would love to figure out what a good version of that for you know something that we all need to reference every day would be totally yeah i'll get to thinking so yeah this if anybody thinks of anything flip and email us because that'd be fun we can you know we'll obviously search for it and see if we can find something like that and if not, maybe yeah. make it. Hmm. Our next article, very excited about, is from your friend Matthew Strom. And it is about copying. Copying is the way design works. Yeah, so Matthew is a guy that I met when I lived in Brooklyn. And we almost worked together at a bunch of different places. There's a startup that I was working at and the Wall Street Journal. We almost worked together there. And so I kind of keep an eye on this guy because he's... A very smart guy. He's an excellent designer. And I feel like he's got one of those very philosophical brains where he can like 
go out into the clouds and come back and explain it in a way that makes sense to us normal humans. And the topic of this is about how copying is a fundamental, important piece of the way the design process works. And I love that because I feel like that is one of the foundations that we started the league on. It's like part of the reason some fonts should be open source is so you can copy them and like learn how they work and make your own version with, you know, a, a leg up. I read the article. It looks very long, but it was a 20 minute read. If anyone's looking for an estimate. So definitely doable. He actually calls it a short book and says you can download, copy, remix, excerpt, change, and repost it however you see fit. Look at that. It's a Creative Commons license that he published it under where you can copy it. Yeah. I mean, again, this feels like a nerd alert. There's some really great historical background as to copying used in design. And also, I just think it's really digestible. He puts it in in terms that make a lot of sense. He even starts with the Charles and Ray Eames chair. You know, one of their famous chairs, the LCW, was so famous because it was beautiful and affordable. They sold it first for almost $21. And now the licensed version is from Herman Miller and sells for Mm. (laughs) $1,200. That's the licensed version. There are unlicensed (laughs) copies of this that are actually more affordable for $150. And he talks about how the unlicensed copies are actually closer to the intent of Charles and Ray Eames of making a beautiful and affordable piece, which which is how this article starts. He goes into details about Steve Jobs, who said, you know, great artists steal. He was quoting probably Pablo Picasso or someone else. And so they talk about the history of computers and how Xerox actually created this groundbreaking computer called the Alto that had a graphical user interface, virtual windows that we're familiar with now, and used a mouse. Steve Jobs actually took a lot of these ideas and brought them to Macintosh, and they do a side-by-side of this lesser-known Xerox interface next to Apple Macintosh. And you can see it's very similar. Yet, when people started trying to copy Apple's products, Apple was trying to sue left and right. Apple mm. Apple currently has 2,300 design patents. They even tried to sue Samsung for using a device with rounded corners, <laughs> which is, I remember that. It was crazy. So he, he also goes on to, to tell that anecdote in more detail. And to bring it back to his personal experience, he talks about games in mm. uh, the 1990s and how there was a game designer called John Carmack and he noticed that there wasn't a PC version of Super Mario Brothers and there wasn't side-scrolling games for PCs at the time because the graphics wouldn't allow it and so he reverse engineered Super Mario Brothers from the Nintendo device and coded it so that it worked on a PC. So he tried to sell this to Nintendo. Nintendo didn't want anything to do with it but then he switched out all the Nintendo characters for aliens and people and created this new game called commander keen in invasions of do you know commander keen oh yeah that's now like a very famous game yeah and so that would have never happened unless he actually like copied super mario brothers and then eventually he reskinned it so it's sort of like a remix and you know that ultimately leads to the open source software movement which leads to the open source movement and he talks about the development of creative commons i mean like we could have easily fit into this article as well as people that have, you know, endorsed free fonts for copying and learning and education education tools. And mm-hmm. I just, I thought there was some really great points made in this article that opened up my mind for sure. It's just such a well done little 
little ebook we got here. I wish I maybe I mean honestly maybe he will uh, turn it into an actual ebook that you can download and share. And also, I love a. This is a very wonderfully typeset article, and he has a little colophon at the end to to tell you what fonts he set it in, all of which are open source fonts. So lovely. I you know I'm definitely going to pass this article on. He talks about the everyone's unsolicited design uh, work that's out there. It's when people you know see a brand and they're like, hey, what would it look like if I reskin this? And he also talks about you know how there's some discourse they're saying, oh, that's terrible. Can we stop just like rebranding it just because you see it's see that you could? But then he talks about how it actually does sometimes lead to innovation and sometimes by you know pushing the boundaries so far the companies can actually see how far the boundaries can push and maybe like learn from one or two tidbits of whoever did this unsolicited design so i don't know yeah just definitely feels a little bit more philosophical in terms of you know what license do we have as designers to you know push boundaries copy and remix and it makes me think about you know recently google was taken to court for being a search engine that limits that has such a monopoly on the industry that it limits other people from even trying to do group to make a search engine and in that sense the court's argument is that there's it leaves little room for innovation for people to try to get into the search engine field and try to make it better because google has kind of had this stronghold on it so i think like a lot of people see competitiveness and even copying as a route to innovation that is not often seen that way. Yeah, that is a very interesting point. I think I have mixed feelings on that Google case, but we don't have to get into all that. Yeah, yeah. So super fun. Definitely look at it. Speaking of unsolicited designs, our next article is from Fast Company, and it is a little critique of the Gmail's new logo suite. And this amateur designer redesigned the new logo suite into what he thinks would work best. The majority of the article is actually people being like, I don't like this rebrand because all the colors, with all the icons being multicolored, it all looks the same. But Evan Bloss, who's an amateur designer, looked at the logo for Gmail and actually rebuilt it in a way where if you look at the color theory of the current Gmail envelope and M, it goes blue, red, yellow, green, except the overlapping parts of the blue and the red is a scarlet and the overlapping parts of the red and the green is a yellow, which doesn't make sense color theory wise, because when you mix red and blue, you don't get scarlet, you get purple. And so okay. he created this more color theory, uh, more simpatico logically, where it's, it goes from blue to green, to yellow, to orange, to red. See, that's kind of interesting because that's a very subtle change for a thing that people were saying. This this whole thing is too subtle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I honestly agree with the critique that the icon redesigns are too similar, that it's more difficult to tell the darn things apart. It was already difficult to tell the darn things apart. I remember actually the day that they released this, I kind of, without thinking too hard, tweeted about the fact that like the icons weren't that distinguishable in the first place. Most mm-hmm. of them aren't icons in the sense that they are an image that makes you think of the thing. And I think a lot of companies lately, they're a lot more just trying to take a completely arbitrary symbol 
and become so ubiquitous in the usage of the tool that their logo or that symbol becomes the idea of the thing, as mm. opposed to an icon being a representation of what the thing is and does. Mm -hmm. And like Slack is a good example where mm. they just kind of made this random arbitrary shape with a bunch of colors on it and they just kind of force it down our throats enough that hopefully at some point we start saying, oh, that weird arbitrary shape is Slack. Wow. It's become a lot more of a thing where a lot of icons recently for tools that could have some kind of visual representation of what the thing does, don't even try. Well, I think you would agree with Fast Company's final sentence. Mark Wilson is the writer for Fast Company that wrote this article. I thought it was very poignant when he said, and while they do successfully portray Google, the company, mm. Google isn't so successful at portraying what we actually value Google for. Email, maps, and scheduling. Mic drop. Snap. Exactly. So I totally good. I totally back that. So yeah, so this amateur designer, Evan Bloss, did do this redesign of the new Google envelope for Gmail, but I think I agree, Micah. Overall, it's, I agree. It, it just, it kind of tries to hit home so hard in the Google branding and the Google colors that certain things like how colors overlap isn't logical, how the shapes just you know, disappear because the color becomes just so prominent in these mm. symbols. So, you know. Even so I certainly hope Evan is the one saying that he's an amateur designer somewhere. Right? Otherwise, that's just, that's just rude. Like, what the heck? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I looked at I Evan's Twitter and he's like community tell. owner at this company and it doesn't say anything about being a designer. So, you know, maybe they contacted him or something, hopefully, and said, what are you? And he said, ah, I'm just an amateur. Which <laughs> then I'd be like, hey, Evan, you're not an amateur. You're a designer. Mm -hmm. But whatever. So funny. So yeah, just interesting take and good perspective on some pop culture stuff happening in the world right now. Now, real quick, Again. before we jump into the next article... Uh, good time to mention our sweet sponsor, Adobe. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use however you like. We've got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Thank you for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Great. Our next article actually came from a reader and listener of the newsletter and podcast, Quentin Ra. He's French, so it's spelled R-A-T, but I looked up. It's pronounced Ra. 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 <laughs> I'm my best. I'm my best, guys. Well, yeah, it's perfect. It's... Another episode, Olivia tries her best at French and <laughs> likely doesn't succeed. Okay, so... The We actually translated this into English for the newsletter. So the original article was in French. We went through Google Translate. So we're going to do our best to kind of let everyone know what this is about. And I think a lot of it's visual. So if you read the article and look at the visuals, it will make sense. So interesting. A young Genevan student has worked to create more inclusive typography by 
creating new gender neutral characters for the French language, which um, similar to Spanish and similar to a lot of languages, French genders a lot of their nouns and therefore a lot of words, including adjectives or articles for those nouns become gendered as well. So there's a lot of gendered words that are female or male. And so what happens if we create new characters that blends and creates hybrids of the letter forms used in these gendered words and becomes more ambiguous. It becomes very interesting. I gotta say, I mean, I think the idea for this is fantastic. And I also think a lot of the actual characters that were invented, I, I would be confused about. I'd look at that and be like, what, what is this shape? The most recognizable one for me was I knew that mère and père are words in French for mother and father for mother, mare for mother, pair for father. And I love the example of this hybrid PM shape he made where it looks like an M, but the first stem is elongated like a P would. And then the, the middle stem curves in like a P would. So it is this like funky hybrid character. More commonly is la and le, L-E versus L-A. And he created this hybrid E-A character. I mean, these are very... Definitely avant-garde, but really groundbreaking. I haven't seen anything like this before. I agree. I agree. I think that's it. You are far more into avant-garde things than I am. I love the idea of this. I love the concept. My brain as like a very basic, you know, product designer is like, oh, let's just come up with a different word. And his creative brain was like, (laughs) let's invent a new character that looks different and, and... merges these things together. So I think that's very neat. I certainly don't mean any disrespect. I think it's very cool. So interesting. And I I hope that all of our French-speaking listeners and readers appreciate it probably even more than we do as we aren't totally familiar and fluent in French. We're vaguely familiar. Okay, to round up this week's roundup is a fascinating article from actually thefashionlaw.com. We don't don't veer over here, but our wonderful Hugo found this for us. And it is titled, Banana Republic is being sued for allegedly co-opting designers' stylized ampersand. The more I read into it, I was like, oh, this is extremely relevant to a lot of the licensing stuff we've been talking about lately. Absolutely. So kind of to summarize, Banana Republic has been using this really stylized ampersand. It is very stylized. It's, you know, kind of this really high contrast, double lined ampersand with thick lines, thin lines. It's very decorative, and they've been using it, and there was a designer, Moshik Nadav, who's Brooklyn-based, who says, hey, that ampersand looks incredibly similar to the ampersand in my Paris prototype base, and there wasn't any proper licensing for them to be using this and to be making money off of this ampersand. The only thing they changed, if you look at the comparing contrast, is they got rid of the... Yeah, like two tiny little lines... Yeah, and those weren't even, like, the defining parts of this letter form. The defining parts is the, like, just really luxurious, ornate ampersand. And so he, they're engaging in commercial use of this. Banana Republic is trying to fight back. Moshik Nadav is trying to sue for $75,000 at least. And I'm very interested to hear the argument for fighting back. Like, what, what yeah. is the counter? This is obviously a duplicate design. I don't understand. Yeah. Exactly. I think they might be fighting back saying that it was not being used as commercial use. And I wonder if it's allowed for personal use or something, this typeface. But, you know, I've seen this typeface used for a pretty big deal 
brands. Vogue, Estee Lauder, L.U.K., and Taylor, Volkswagen, Target have all used this font. And Banana Republic just thought they were above the licensing for it. A really good example of, you know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about horror stories of font licensing. And we don't know the story of how this ampersand started getting used in what led to this lawsuit. But it could very easily have just been, that's really cool. I'm going to grab that and adjust it a tiny bit and use it. And just well-intentioned designer trying to make something great who didn't understand the details of licensing. Yeah. I think, so I'm reading Banana Republic's argument is that its use of the ampersand is decorative in nature and not meant to serve as an indicator of source of its goods or services. That's their argument against the trademark. That's pretty wild. I don't know. They're putting it on like, I think I read like jewelry and men's and women's apparel. Like, come on, you're using that to make money. Yeah, and even if it's decorative, it's in the context of selling their stuff. Yeah. Even if it wasn't on a necklace. It's crazy. Yeah, bonkers. And so this is this is actually an interesting point to talk about. We are we are just about finished with our licensing book, by the way. I didn't really intend to mention this, but we have been working on a book that we mentioned many, many weeks ago of here's what you need to know as a normal human who interacts with fonts about what you can and can't do with licensing, what you need to be aware of to not get in trouble like this. And so we're about to start putting that up. We'll we'll send out an email specifically about that when it's ready to go. But if this is the kind of thing that you look at this and you're like, shoot, I, I had no idea that this was even an issue, it might be a good useful resource for you. Most definitely. Um, if you're I'm especially interested in that, uh, shoot us an email back and we would be happy to give a pre-order discount before we get it published. Totally. Excited for the launch of that. And we have also other great things coming our way. You guys will want to just keep close to our Instagram account, to our newsletter. We may or may not have a giveaway coming up soon. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) All I'm saying. All right. Great time as always, Micah. Likewise, Olivia. Have a good week, everybody. Stay sane, stay calm. And we'll see you next week with more awesome links and some fun thing for Nerd Alert. Bye. (laughs) 